Welcome to the Mean Lady Talking Podcast, the tough-talking, advice-giving show by the not-really-mean, mean lady, Susan J. Elliott. Good day, everybody. This is Susan Elliott, host of Mean Lady Talking Podcast. And welcome to episode 69. I want to give a shout out this episode to three very special meanies. I want to thank Brian, who is also a co-mod of the Facebook group. And Brian has been in service to the Facebook group for two and a half years. And I want to thank Brian for his service. I want to thank Cheryl, who is a mega meanie. And... She is a very special lady, and I appreciate her very much. I want to thank Dave, who is also a co-mod and also a Megamini, so he hits all of the right buttons. So thank you so much, Dave, for your service to the Getting Past Your Breakup group and to your support of this podcast coming in as my highest contributor. Thank you so very much. Okay, guys, I will be having more bonuses in August, and I'm also going to start giving out longevity bonuses. So the longer you're with the podcast, the longer you're supporting the podcast, the your bonuses will be reflecting that. So September will be the first three-month mark, and then December will be the six-month mark. So right now I'm thinking of bonuses for the three-month mark and for the six-month mark. So you guys will have some very special longevity bonuses, and I am thinking of new bonuses for August. If there is a certain bonus or benefit that you think you would like, let me know. I'm always open to suggestions. Okay, thank you so very much. Have a couple of things to talk about on this podcast. And one of them is on episode 68, I Lost My Mind. It was just a reaction, totally off the cuff, totally sit down, say it, record it, box it up, put it out there. It wasn't really a podcast episode. It was more like me losing my mind. And I am going to do a future Chris Watts episode that's going to be more measured, more research. I've been doing research over the past few months since his confession came out in February, and I had planned on doing a more measured, possibly multi-part series on a guy like him who really seemed to have lost his mind, but I don't believe that he just snapped. I believe that it's a very interesting inquiry, but I've been doing a lot of academic research of stuff that I've already known, but I wanted to make sure that I have gotten my ducks in a row. I've gotten up with the latest research on a couple of different topics that I want to cover in that. I'm almost done with Jody Arias' podcast. And again, they won't be on a regular podcast day. And um, so tonight what I'm going to do is I'm going to answer two mini inquiries. One, okay, no, not tonight. I'm going to do, okay. Um, I had a question from a Patreon supporter. And the question was about how to deal with when you have narcissists in your family, in your immediate family. He has gone no contact with his mother and his sister, which is a very hard thing to do. But when you have people who are personality disordered in your immediate family, you have to do that. 
And I talked about as a mother, I've had to do it with my middle son. He's just such a narcissist. His father was a narcissist. They didn't, he didn't grow up with him. He said to me when I talked to him about his similarity to his father, he got very angry with me. And he said, I didn't know the man. And I just realized that there's no talking to him. And I do have other people out there in podcast land who have these situations in their family. Please write to me, tell me your situation. And I'm going to do at least one podcast, if not more on this. So... I'm going to get to that in a few weeks as soon as I clear a lot of this other stuff off the boards, but I think that it's going to be a very special, special podcast, and I really would like to cover as many questions, situations, anything at all. Send the email to MeanLadyTalking at MeanLadyTalking.com, and of course, you will not be identified on the podcast and we'll talk about it. So send, you could send me a straightforward question. You could send me your situation. You could send me whatever you want. But if you have a situation like that, where you've had to go no contact with a close family member because of personality disorder, feeling that their personality disorder, maybe you have questions about whether or not their personality disorder, whatever the case may be, please feel free to send email to me. I plan on doing that um, episode around the beginning of September. So please let me know. Okay, what else? Okay, so tonight I'm going to talk about two things that came from meanies. The first one is a question about time frames. And many people know that there are all of these kind of pop culture references. We're getting over our relationship takes half as long as the length of the relationship or a quarter as long. And that's all nonsense. It's all baloney. There is no time frame like that. I told people, and I think I even write about this in Getting Past Your Breakup. And if I didn't, I should have. Um, I've had people that have come to me in my practice who are married 25 years. And if, if I told them that their breakup was going to take half the time that they were married or even a quarter time they would get married, they'd be jumping off the roof. I mean, these things are absolutely ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. So how long does it take? You know, it's sort of like the Abraham Lincoln question about how how long should a legs man, how long should a man's legs be? And Abraham Lincoln said long enough to touch the ground. And how long should it take you to get over a breakup? And it takes however long it takes for you to do the work. I mean, that's basically the question. That's basically the answer to the question. But what's important is that how much unresolved grief do you have? I completely fell apart when my marriage fell apart because I had stayed in that chaotic relationship for many years, not wanting to deal with my unresolved issues. What other stuff comes up? Sometimes it comes up immediately. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it comes up later, much later. What do you do as far as the work is concerned? Do you stay by yourself? Do you go into therapy? Do you go into support groups? Do you go to 12-step programs? Do you read all these books? I mean, what exactly do you do? What is the work that you do? And I talk about in Building Your Life, I talk about, I talk about you have to do the work. You have to do, you know, depending on what your issue is, what your situation is, how old you are, what kind of relationship you were in, what kind of relationship you were in before that. Have you jumped from relationship to relationship to relationship? Chances are you have lots of unresolved issues. 
So how do you answer that question? The other thing is how much work are you going to commit to do and how hard are you going to work at it? I started working hard right away, but I mean, I was a mess. I had so many things that I had to work through. And then I started to feel better within about four or five months. But then the first holidays alone, I completely, completely collapsed. I was a mess again. I was a suicidal mess again. And it was like 10 months since my separation. And then, you know, once the holidays were over, I was back on the horse. I was doing it all again. But, you know, I had that up and down, up and down, up and down. But I chased it and chased it and chased it and chased it. I went to therapy. I went to three hours a week of therapy. I went to support groups. I went to therapy groups. I went to 12-step programs. I went to conferences. I went to seminars. I went to workshops. I chased it and chased it and chased it. And I met my husband, Michael, who was the love of my life. We had a very healthy marriage, healthy relationship. I met him nine years after my separation. I was in a very, I was in a pretty healthy relationship in the middle of those nine years for about two years, you know, so around from years four to four to eight or three to three to seven. And we worked on a lot of stuff, you know, as sometimes our relationship would kind of hit the skids and we would have to work things out. And then our relationship ended because our recoveries had taken us in two different places. So even though we both had worked very hard on our recovery, both individually and as a couple, and we had a pretty nice life. We had a pretty happy relationship. We got to the point where we couldn't support each other anymore because we were going off in two different directions. And there was no way that the relationship was sustainable at that point. And one of the things that you have to think about, and I will tell you once again, getting back out there is not a dating book. You have to look at it now. Once you break up, look at getting back out there. There's stuff in there about what is a healthy relationship? What does it look like? What is healthy communication? You have to look at those things early on. If you don't, then you're going to go through a lot of relationships, a lot of dating, where you're going to feel like you're beginning all over again. Do the work up front. A lot of things that I learned in that relationship and I learned in my relationship with Michael were things that are in getting back out there. But you have to learn it before you go back out there, long before you have to go back out there. So please get getting back out there. Review what does a healthy relationship look like. Review the standards of compatibility inventory before you even get to the relationship inventory. Review what is healthy communication so that you recognize it all when you go back out there. So these are all all variables that inform how long does this take. There's really no time frame that fits. There's no one size fits all for everyone. You have to do your work. You have to feel comfortable about your work. And, you know, I have the video, the five R's, the um, the bumps in the dating road. And it talks about readiness. It talks about a whole rebounding. It talks about a whole bunch of things. So I will put a link to the five R's video in the show notes for this podcast, but go watch that. That's some of the things that you have to think about when you are going through a breakup and you're trying to figure out how long it's going to be until I'm ready for another relationship, yada, yada, yada. So anyway, that is the long answer to that. Okay, the other one I have is a question, an email from Amini. And I said, many emails take precedence. So here we go. I was with my boyfriend for two years. He was very considerate and caring for the first few months during the chase, question mark. 
But once we had settled and he said he loved me, he became so complacent. He was completely emotionally unavailable and became almost indifferent toward me. And I made the mistake of driving 200 miles to see him every weekend. And although he would only do that for me very occasionally, eight times in two years, we had some space just before breaking up so we could think things through. And the idea was to both express what we felt we needed to change. He said that on his part, which honestly wasn't a great deal. And he told me he loved me and missed me and wanted to make it work. But once I eventually said my part after a few weeks, despite feeling really guilty that I might hurt his feelings, he ended it. My request was, Could he visit me more often and could he try to reduce his technology use? If we were at dinner, he would spend 80% of his time on the phone. And when we were together, he was so glued to the TV, I would ask him a question at least three times he couldn't even answer because he was so engrossed in the TV. I just wanted him to put more effort in and be less selfish. I do a lot of shift work and would often drive the miles to see him after a night shift on no sleep. But he would refuse to drive to me because he thought my bed was uncomfortable. Following my request, he actually seemed to get worse. And after a particularly stressful night where it was clear that I was upset, although we didn't argue, he eventually ended things over the phone. That was around a week after our conversation. Even though my nan was dying at the time and I had seen him that day and was due to see him three days later... He still did it over the phone rather than in person. I haven't seen him since. Maybe I'm wrong, but I didn't think these were unreasonable requests from a partner. My self-esteem completely plummeted during my time with him. He would rarely say nice things about me. And he was so emotionally distant that I felt something was wrong with me. For the whole relationship, I thought if I was skinnier, prettier, bought sexier clothes, he would be more receptive to me. I couldn't break up with him because I was paralyzed with doubt about myself and I felt that I loved him. Anyway, I guess I'm looking for reassurance that his behavior was not normal. He's 40 and very set in his ways and I feel that I supported him in every way I could and was reasonable in my request. Now that we are apart, I am, of course, devastated, but at the same time, I'm slowly starting to see that anyone would deserve more from a relationship and that I should hold out for that. I think the issue is that I had not built myself up enough to be strong enough to end such relationship. And my idea of self-worth was so low that I didn't realize I should expect more. Why did I put up with that? I guess my question is, does this kind of behavior from him sound normal? And is this something that occurs in every relationship? I suspect it is not, but I can't imagine being in a relationship that is loving and kind. I also suspect my low self-esteem is the root of my issue and that I would be better off working through the program and working on myself before I start dating again. What is the issue with emotionally unavailable people and how can you spot them when you're dating before you get in too deep with them? I know the idea is that I fall for them because I'm scared of intimacy. I listen to your podcast regularly. But are there any other clues that I should look out for once I'm healthy? And does this behavior sound normal? Maybe I overreacted. Uh, no, that behavior is not normal. And you you not only didn't overreact, you should have reacted a long time before this. Relationships need to be 
a two-way street. I've heard a bunch of stupid, stupid quotes about this. People will say, a relationship shouldn't be 50-50. They should be 100-100. And I talk about this in Getting Back Out There. This is another reason why you should be reading Getting Back Out There long before you're ready to date again. No, relationships cannot possibly be 100-100 all the time. You just can't. Everybody needs to be able to put some effort into their own life, into their own family, into their own friends, into their own hobbies and interests. If you were doing 100, 100, you could not possibly have your own life. You would just be totally codependent, turning yourself inside out. Any time you have to drive 200 miles every weekend. My son lives 150 miles from me and I cannot imagine making that, which is 50 miles less than she drove. I can't imagine driving that every weekend. That's just crazy. I mean, the first time it was completely unbalanced, it should have been over. And the whole thing about the electronics at dinner, it's like, no, if you cannot get through a dinner without being on your phone, we have nothing to talk about. If you can't get through a conversation without looking at the TV, we have nothing to talk about. These are all standards. These are all things that have to go into relationship inventory. And when you are doing your relationship inventory, and I talk about this in the workbook, in the workbook, I have a list of how to do, how to use the books and the workbook together to do the work. And what I have for the relationship inventory is pull out your standards of compatibility inventory. And so when you go in through your relationship inventory, you say, eight, spent 80% of a dinner out on his phone. Want somebody that won't pull out their phone. And then the minute you're with somebody who pulls out their phone, you could say, I'm sorry, I would like to have a conversation face to face. It makes me really uncomfortable when I'm competing with somebody's phone. And if a person gives you a hard time, whether it's a friend, a family member, a date, you say, I'm not having dinner with you anymore. That's just not going to happen. You have to make those standards clear with everybody in your life. What happened in this relationship is you did all the work and he did none of it. You have to believe that you are good enough to be in a relationship with that somebody will spend the time and the energy being with you. Now, if you guys were taking a break and you decided that you're going to tell each other everything that needs fixing, you're not supposed to be afraid that you're going to hurt somebody's feelings. Remember, you cannot set a boundary and take care of somebody else's feelings at the same time. You just can. And telling somebody, I want you to travel more to see me is a boundary. And it's also what I deserve. Put it under the heading of what I deserve. And no, these are not unreasonable requests from a partner. But if he was so uncomfortable in your bed, why didn't he get you a bed? That would have been the the solution to that. He just didn't want to drive or, okay, drive out here and then take me to a hotel where there's a good bed. Anybody who says, I'm not traveling to you because I don't like your bed, that's nonsense. I mean, did you ever say, well, I'll get a new bed? Or how about you help me pay for a new bed? I mean, if it's really the bed, then there's a, a solution to that. But I will bet dollars to donuts, it is not the bed. It is that he's a lazy bastard who doesn't want to drive. And yes, you have to get the Power Affirmations booklet and you have to do your foundation affirmations and you have to work through it and you have to take that 
along with your relationship inventory, your standards of compatibility inventory, and you have to work on what is missing in your life that you would put up with something like this. And no, do not, do not, do not, do not go out with anybody until you stay by yourself, work through this breakup, work through your standards of compatibility inventory, build a life, raise your self-esteem, and realize that anybody who cannot make time for you doesn't really want to be with you. Remember, the number one requirement is wants to be with me. And anybody who's not willing to travel to you and you're traveling to them doesn't really want to be with you. And it's not about being prettier or sexier or, or anything. It's about you need to feel okay about you. And the answer to all of these issues is not, I should be prettier or skinnier or sexier or whatever. It should be, screw you, buddy. I deserve more and I'm leaving you to go find it. You waited until he broke up with you. How much longer were you going to put up with this? And why are you devastated? I think that your devastation probably has to do with past losses or past relationships more than this guy because this guy is just a total loser. You say, I feel that I supported him in every way imaginable. That's ridiculous. If he can't even drive to see you, it's ridiculous for you to support him in every way imaginable. You should absolutely hold out for it. You want somebody who's willing to move mountains for you, not just drive 200 miles, but move mountains for you. Why were you so willing to drive to him? When he obviously had zero interest in driving to you. He said he loved you and missed you and wanted to make it work except for the part where he had to do some work. That's absolutely ridiculous. Love is an action. It's what you do. It's not what you say. It's absolutely what you do and only what you do. What you say has nothing to do with it. Love is absolutely an action and only an action. If you can't imagine being in a relationship that's loving and kind, that's an issue. That's why you have to read Getting Back Out There. That's why you have to read the stories in the back, which all are about real love and real couples that have real, healthy, loving, and kind relationships. You have to read those stories before you do any of this work because you have to know that it's possible because it is. Not every relationship has issues. Not every relationship has issues. And if you would have asked him to travel to you much sooner, this relationship would have ended much sooner. As I've said in countless podcasts and in getting back out there and in countless articles, a healthy relationship is a springboard to your life, hobbies, interests, and friends, and a shelter in the storm. The fact that he decided to break up with you while your nan was dying, you know, that's shows that he's a selfish prick, basically. That's exactly who he is. He was a selfish prick. And he had to have been a selfish prick the entire time. Selfish pricks don't just show up one day being a selfish prick. They're that way all along. If you want somebody to put in more effort and be less selfish, you have to say that right off the bat. And you have to say it with a ultimatum that you follow through on. I say this in getting past your breakup and in the workbook, do not give an ultimatum that you can't keep. But early on, if somebody is being selfish, you have to give them an ultimatum and you have to say, this is what your selfishness looks like to me and what needs to change. You can't just say, stop being selfish. 
You have to say, I need you to drive to me. I need it to be more equal. I need you to not be on your electronics when we're out to dinner. This is what you being less selfish looks like. Can you do that for me or not? And I'm sure that he would have said, no, I can't do that. And the next words out of your mouth need to be goodbye. Bye-bye, banana head. Bye-bye, banana head. It sounds like you are completely codependent in this relationship. And the only way that you are going to get out of that in future relationship is to stay by yourself, do your affirmations, do the relationship inventory, do the standards of compatibility inventory, and do the life inventory. Find out what is the common denominators in all of your relationships. That is in getting past your breakup. You must do that. And then you go back to childhood and you see what happened in childhood that led me to be in these unsatisfying relationships. These are not normal things that happen in every relationship. No, they are not. These are things that happen in relationship with narcissists or very dysfunctional self-centered banana heads. Those are the relationships that this happens in, not in healthy relationships. It doesn't happen in healthy relationships. And yes, it is a matter of looking at your past and looking at why you have a fear of intimacy. Usually it's we're afraid of being hurt. But the thing is that having a fear of abandonment causes abandonment because you always pick people that are incapable of a relationship. So fear of abandonment causes abandonment. Fear of intimacy is usually rooted in fear of being hurt. And fear of intimacy usually results in being hurt. So it doesn't work. So you have to take a good long look at that. You have to look at the fact that having fear of intimacy doesn't keep you from being hurt. And that as long as you are attracted to the emotionally unavailable, you are not going anywhere and you're not going there fast. When I started working on my abuse issues, when I realized that my mother was abusive and that I basically married my mother and I started working on them and I started realizing that nobody had the right to put their hands on me, the abuses fell away. It was like magic. We all have a sixth sense and we can see other people and sense other people. There is comfort and discomfort in being around other people. And it always is about water seeks its own level. We are comfortable around people who remind us of the familiar, family. That's where the word comes from, familiar. So we are very comfortable around people who are abandoning us if we have abandoned ourselves, and we usually have abandoned ourselves because our family of origin has abandoned us or we've been in relationships for so long where every single person has abandoned us. So that's who we're comfortable around. And they don't have to open their mouth. They don't have to say a word. It's like there's all of this unconscious stuff going on. You know the people that remind you of your family before they even open their mouth. And we are attracted to them and we gravitate toward them. And then we are dealing with the same stuff that our family put us through, our previous relationships put us through. And the next thing you know it, we're going through the same old, same old, and we're surprised by the same old thing. Oh my God, this happened again. How did that happen? Uh, well, I don't know if nothing changes, nothing changes. Maybe that's how. Oh, you think? Yes, I do think. Imagine that. Oh, okay. I'll have to imagine that because I'm not really sure how this happens. No, it's difficult sometimes to understand, but it happens. So 
the abusers fall away. When you become emotionally healthy and you commit, like wants to be with me has to be the number one requirement, and you do your affirmations, and you absolutely, absolutely, absolutely convince yourself by doing your affirmations, doing it the way that they're done in the workbook, in the Power Affirmations booklet, you go through it and you decide no matter what happens, you commit to, if this happens, this happens, this happens, I take a walk. This happens, this happens, this happens, I'm out of there. You have to commit to yourself. And this isn't just romantic relationships, it's friendships, it's family, it's co-work, it's everything. You have to demand from the world that they treat you right. And that means equal relationships, caring relationships, love is an action relationships. You cannot go through life not expecting anything from anyone and hoping that it all works out for the best because it's not going to. You have to demand how people treat you. And you do that by carrying yourself a certain way, by believing that you deserve the best treatment that there is and believing that you will not settle for less. We have to believe that it's out there. You have to believe that good people exist. You have to believe that there is somebody out there who absolutely is capable of healthy and loving relationship with you because there is, but you will never find them if you keep settling for crumbs like you did in this relationship. If you are a loving and giving person, that's one thing. But if you're a codependent who's turning yourself inside out to accept crumbs from somebody who doesn't deserve to breathe the same air that you do, that's something else completely different. Go through getting past your breakup. Go through getting back out there. Go through the workbook and do your affirmations and your journaling every single day. Get those affirmations going. Dig into this relationship. Dig into the life inventory. Dig into the parent inventory and get your act together. You can absolutely do this. The story that you told me is not as extreme as many others that I have heard. It might seem to people listening to this for the first time that it's extreme or people that aren't willing to drive 200 miles every weekend. But I'll tell you that this is not as extreme as some other stories that I've heard. So don't beat yourself up about this. You have to forgive yourself first. You didn't know that you didn't know. You tried thinking that this is what you're supposed to do in a loving, caring relationship, but it's not. You're not supposed to be settling for crumbs. You're supposed to have a good and loving partner who cares about you, pays attention to you. The fact that you live 200 miles away and he can't turn, take his phone down while you're out to eat is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Everybody should be demanding attention. You deserve it and you should have it. Okay. One of the things, one of the things that I talked about in the male stalking podcast about Travis Alexander was that one of the reasons why he had so much trouble with Jody Arias stalking him and Alice LaViolette kept saying, well, you know, he didn't show fear. So therefore she wasn't stalking him, which is absolutely ridiculous. But one of the reasons he didn't show fear was because of the way that he grew up. He grew up living on the streets with homeless drug addicts for parents. And even though this situation is not the same thing as his situation, but many times we've had a lot of adversity, abuse, or difficulty in our past, we become somewhat disabled when it comes to having loving relationships with healthy people. We don't know what it looks like. We don't know what it feels like. And we might become reactionary and react to things that aren't there or visionary, envisioning things that will never be. We live in a fantasy world thinking, yes, 
thinking yes is no and no is yes and up is down and down is up and black is white and white is black. And this is what seems to have happened in this relationship. It seems that she was living in a fantasy world and it seems to me that there's probably a lot of dysfunction in her past. We come at it difficult situations, not quite knowing what we think or what we feel. We don't know how to act or who to act with. And that Carletta was full of those questions, full of those questions. I don't know. I'm not sure. Is it me? Is it him? Are relationships like this? I don't think they are. I'm not really clear. We're not sure what's real because people said they loved us and then acted very unloving toward us. We're not sure what we want because we've been labeled selfish and ridiculous for wanting anything. And that's going to be one of the issues with her going into a future relationship if she doesn't work on this stuff and realize that her requests are reasonable. Because she's going to have it in the back of her mind. Oh, remember what happened the last time I asked for something? Uh, He broke up with me. No, you have to know that you have the right to have this. It's okay. It's a reasonable request. And I talk about this in the When the Person You Love Doesn't Love You video, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes. You have to know what's reasonable and what's not reasonable. And we share the driving duties is reasonable. You don't look at your phone where out to dinner is reasonable. You have to know that. But if you come from a background where you've been labeled selfish or ridiculous or somebody broke up with you because you suddenly asserted something that you wanted, you could close down and say, oh, I better not want anything. But no, I want you to do the exact opposite. I want you to pound on the table that you deserve this and that you are entitled to it and you're not settling for anything less. We don't know who to trust because we put our trust in people who aren't trustworthy. We don't know how we feel because we've been told our feelings are wrong and feelings are not right or wrong. They just are. We don't know what's acceptable because when we've said out, we've been told it doesn't really hurt or worse that we deserved it. The first time my teenage boyfriend really beat me up, really hurt me, my family's question to me was, what did you do to him? First, really serious abuse of my teenagehood. What did you do to him? We don't know who we are because we've been labeled by others. This is why the affirmations, especially the foundation affirmations, are so important. We've been told who we are by other people who don't have a clue who we are. They would purposely feed us misinformation. Healthy people know what they think, know what they feel, and then they act on what they think and feel. When all your feelings and thoughts are jumbled, your actions will be as well. And that's what happens when we're not sure, is this reasonable? Is this unreasonable? When you're not healthy, you're either overly enmeshed with other people or under-involved. When your feelings and thoughts enmesh with others, you don't know whether you're feeling what you feel or what they feel or what somebody else feels. When you're estranged from other people, you're left with your isolated thoughts and sometimes they feel more than just a little kooky. When you've lived with dysfunction and craziness for so long, long, your life stops working out. Your relationships stop working out and you come face to face with a personal crisis. But this is what I call the gift of desperation. It's a time you put a pin in it and you say, that's it. It is not going to happen beyond this point. You know that you cannot go on the way you went on before. And that's what this person's letter is saying. When we are in crisis and we don't feel safe, there is danger. We feel overwhelmed. We feel stressed and we feel like we cannot go on. 
And we can't. Something has to change. If nothing changes, nothing changes. But at this important time, there is opportunity. This is where the gift of desperation comes storming in. It's time to stop and take stock of what has been going on. How has this crisis been manufactured? And what do we need to do to keep it from happening again? During this time, there's the opportunity to turn a devastating loss into the very best thing that's ever happened to you. It's time for you to say, I've been pushed too far for too long by too many, and now it stops right now. We get to figure out once and for all what's wrong, and we get to make it right. We get to learn what we think, learn what we feel, and how to act on what we think and feel. We get to figure out who we are and where we are going. It is time to be good to yourself, to seek support, to get enough sleep, to eat right, and make sure you're moving away from that which has hurt you. Build your support networks. Go to therapy. Go to groups. Go to 12-step meetings. Build up your fun times. Hobby, interest, friends. Hobby, interest, friends. Hobby, interest, friends. Do your grief work. Do your inventory. Finish your unfinished business. Take a look at childhood and see what the hell went on back there. Spent each time, each day journaling. Turn everything off. Phone off. TV off. Everything. Learn to meditate, learn to do the relaxation that I talked about just a few podcasts ago. Crisis is opportunity played correctly. Recognize the opportunity to change your life, which is what a breakup is, and use this time to become everything you ever wanted to be. And more. You can do this. Okay, guys, this is Susan Elliott hosting me Lady Talking Podcast. Thank you so much to my meanies for the support. More bonuses coming in August. Enjoy this two days early episode and talk to you guys later. Send me email meanies. Talk to you all soon. Bye-bye. <laughs>